This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Anitra Marie Simmons found art, writing, and mediumship through grief and loss. This is how she changed her life to find purpose and meaning again. The ultimate healing from Anitra's grief came from spiritual connection and art. Anitra helps others in their journey of grief, as it never goes away in this physical lifetime. We learn to live with the loss and must find individual ways of peace and purpose to move forward. Valeria Telles interviews Anitra Marie Simmons, the author of Embracing Life from Death, a caregiver's journey through glioblastoma, grief, and healing. Anitra Simmons writes a raw, open, and vulnerable account of her journey through what it's like to travel through terminal illness, death, and a spiritual awakening. She gives vision to her readers of her emotions and heartache, and her mission is to bring continued awareness to grief and help others find their way through this painful journey. She shares her path to healing by becoming an artist and writer, and how she embraced spirituality to ease her pain, which led her to mediumship. She currently will be releasing her second memoir, When Breath is Stronger Than Tears, by early 2022, and will follow with an illustrated children's book based on her daughter that passed away from melanoma in 2017. Her art is continuously posted on Instagram and Facebook. Meet Anitra at anitrasimmonsartist.com. Here is the interview with Anitra Marie Simmons. In your own words, who is Anitra Marie Simmons? I think first and foremost, I am a mother, a grandmother, a friend, Part of a family nucleus is my identity, but through this process, I feel like I'm a survivor and survivor who has been propelled to uh, help others through spirituality and art and in my writing. I hear that a lot. Women who are mothers, they usually begin the sentence when I ask them about who they are, they always say that. First, I'm a mother. So, and you said that too today. So my question that comes to mind that's not here that I didn't think about is, what is to be a mother? What is the meaning of that? I feel that it's my right to nurture and uh, love my children, my grandchildren, you know, to the best of my ability to make them feel as loved 
and secure in this physical world that I can to take care of all of their needs and really, I guess, just to love them as much as I can. Yeah, nurturing. It seems like it's one of the most amazing, the most beautiful kind of love. Would you say that that is unconditional love? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And when it comes to that, I often wonder if we can apply the same kind of love to ourselves, unconditional love, love ourselves as a mother would do. Is that something that is possible in, each, in this lifetime? <laughs> I feel that it's possible. I have been on that journey my whole life uh, to find that unconditional love for myself. And I feel that I still have to work on it, but I've gotten a lot closer um, in the latter part of my life. So yeah, it's a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for all of us. question that I asked um, last year, I think, a uh, mother that I, I interview a lot of mothers, but one of them, we talked about this specific topic and I asked her, How is it possible to love anyone unconditionally if we don't love ourselves unconditionally first? Because we can't give what we don't have. What is your perspective on that, Anitra? I don't necessarily agree with that statement. I feel that maybe if you're talking about a partner or individual that you're, you know, meeting in, in a love romantic type situation, but for my children, I can only speak for myself. I would gladly sacrifice my life for my children. So there isn't anything that I wouldn't do or give or make them feel that they are the most important thing in the world. And I don't always make myself feel that way, but I do know that I, I can do that with my children. Yeah, it's a very interesting topic that I often ask questions about because I'm very interested in unconditional self-love. So I keep wondering how it works, dynamics, and um, that mothers are able to sacrifice, as you said, your own life to your children. But then when it comes to yourself, it's a different story. It changes. So that is a very, very interesting dance, I would say. I, I would also like to add on that, that yeah. some people, you know, that is a struggle with people who have severe issues, you know, maybe something like addiction or whatever, and they're struggling with their own, they aren't able to give that type of unconditional love to their children. Um, in my case, though, I feel that that I can. I'm not that broken, I guess, would be the word that, I, that I'm unable to show that kind of love. So there's a lot of gray area there. Yeah, you're right. It's never one thing. It's not as clear as we would love it to be, right? Life itself. Right. It's, yeah, exactly. And speaking of life, what do you think is the purpose of the human experience? I believe that we all are in this physical life to uh, expand our souls, our ability to love, show compassion, be connected. And the lessons that we've chosen in this physical world are probably elements that we needed work on in our spirit self. So we come here to grow our, our ability to love and expand our soul. This is coming from experience, Anitra, when you speak of life in, in this way, or this is a belief system? 
Um, I think it's a compilation of both. I've, you know, yeah. as I've gone through the trauma and, and all of the things that have happened to me in the past six years, my soul, my connection with spirituality has grown tremendously. And I have formed these beliefs through this trauma, through the learnings that I've I've done th- uh, with, you know, spirituality. And I think they're the beliefs that I've formed from that. Grief. What is another word for grief? I would have to say, you know, depression, sadness, but also there's a flip side to grief. There's also a joy in it mm-hmm. as well. It can be it can be at the bottom of the energy spectrum or it can be at the top. It depends on grief is very complex and people who have not experienced severe grief would not fully understand it, which is one of the reasons why people who are suffering from grief feel so alone and like they're suffering by themselves because so many people don't understand the complexity of how it affects you as far as the sadness and the the depression and the anguish and when you're in a severe form of grief, which is from what I have suffered, everything ceases to exist other than the pain that you feel when you're experiencing that kind of grief. You you can't really absorb anything else other than than the loss and your everything ceases to matter. And I, I, I believe that that's why I can, I can understand now why people take their own lives because it becomes such a powerful emotion that you experience and it's so painful and you lose all hope because that person is gone in this physical life and you can't see beyond that, that you no longer want to be here. And Mm. That's the one of the most powerful uh, emotions that I have experienced through the trauma is finding meaning to life, to want to be in this physical, you know, body still and participate in the joy of being alive. I have heard before somebody said here on the podcast that there's no grief without love. Does it make sense to you, Anitra? Yes, I totally agree with that because... Grief is the the feeling of loss of of great love. The greater the love, the the more severe the grief. You know, I lost a my child, my oldest daughter, uh, passed away, and the grief that you feel is because you love that child so much. You can't you can't imagine your life living the rest of your life without them. So it's it is that's very true. The 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 bigger the, the love, the, the more suffering in the grief. Another question I have for you on grief is, or losing people we love, is um, once for those who have this uh, deeper understanding or realization that we never die, do you feel that that would change the way we respond to grief? Would we suffer less coming from that space of understanding? That we never die. Oh, absolutely. That's the spiritual side. You know, in my book, I talk about the signs from my husband right after he passed away. And then with the signs came a knowing that I'd never had before. 
So his passing propelled me into a place that I'd never been in my life. And with the signs and the the um, his continued efforts to communicate with me from the other side gave me comfort that he was okay, that he was still with me, that he was still alive in a sense that I couldn't touch, feel, see, you know, hear with my senses, my physical senses, but knowing that he was still there was so comforting and it gave me the strength to keep moving forward. And when my when my daughter became ill and sick a year later, I, I was able to handle it better because of the knowledge that I had acquired from his death knowing that she wasn't really dying. Her body was just dying, but her spirit was still alive. And she was in in heaven or another dimension or however, whatever your belief systems are, she was, she was there and alive and could be with me and see me and hear me. And that gave me the hope that I would be with her again or him and the the comfort in knowing that they were not fully gone from this world or from, from life itself, that you didn't create this person for them to just be nothing. I have heard a lot about energy and how energy can never disappear. It's always, always, and it's just, there's just one kind of energy anyway. So that means everything's connected and nothing is separated in the first place. So in a way, it's almost like people around us, when they're no longer in a physical body, in a sense, they're still here. Because where would they go? It's energy. So it's within us. It's everywhere. It's we're all in. Everything is energy. Everything, every plant, every animal, every person. Yeah. Yeah. We're all energy. And it's everywhere. It can never go. Where would that go? I'm wondering (laughs) what's, you know, it's here now. It's the premise of, of you know, all of the manifestation, the energy that we put out there, what we put out, we get back. All of that is is energy. Yeah. When it comes to grief, is there healing? What would you say, how would you describe the healing journey? Not just the healing journey, but is there a destination, Anitra, to grief? Yes, I, I, I absolutely. So my journey was a long, has been a long one. I, everything started about six years ago for me and I, I'm actually just getting ready to launch another book called yeah. uh, When Breath is Stronger Than Tears. And that right. book is going to go far more into detail of the healing aspect of grief and loss and how I was finally able to find some joy in life and to get to a different place than that constant sadness and feeling of loss and all of that. So the end game is to be able to accept that the physical person is gone in this world, but that they're still alive, they're still with you, you will be with them again, and you are here to continue what your path is in this physical body uh, and learn your lessons so that you can finally meet up with them again. And when you can think of them with love and laughter and joy, I believe is the place that you 
is is the healed place of you that gets to thinking about that loss. The end game is to be able to uh, accept that they're gone and to think of all of the their life with joy and love. Yeah, I love when you included that in your answer when you talk about grief, that is this very complex process, but includes joy. It's not just sadness and depression, but also joy. And I have heard that before. I have a question for you. I have so many questions, <laughs> way too <laughs> many here, um, about... Um, Yes, the lessons. You speak of lessons, yeah. I read in your book many times you, you mentioned the lessons, being here, the reason to be here. Why some people experience this kind of lesson? What's the, the meaning behind the lesson of losing somebody that we deeply love, as in your case, your own daughter? It's funny that you asked me that because that has actually been my quest for the last six years to understand and accept why my husband had to die, why my uh, daughter had to die, why my father had to die, why my mother has dementia. What is the reason behind this for me? And that I think I'm still learning the the reason, but I, you know, one of the things that kept me here uh, was that, uh, to take my own life at a low, the lowest point would have dishonored their deaths because right. each of us come here with a path of mm-hmm. what we are supposed to learn. And we have, you know, uh, spiritual families that are that come with us and we all have a plan and they're all interconnected. And for whatever reason, my daughter's path was to to leave, to launch myself and my other daughter into this more spiritual, deeper meaning of life path. Uh, and I would have dishonored her by taking my my life. So in in trying to fully understand why she had to go, it's it's forced me to look at the more meaningful things in my life and to really to really study my own soul why am I here what are these lessons and I feel that the biggest lesson that I've learned is that my path is meant to help others Mm -hmm. with their grief and their loss and help them find joy again and to share what I have gone through Mm. to help launch them into a better life as well. So there, you know, I, I feel that the, the whole purpose of all my loss is so that I will help other people with theirs. It seems like we are all here to help one another, doesn't it? That seems to be like the ultimate purpose of the human experience. Uh, Absolutely. We are all connected. We are all connected. And it's only being in this in the human experience part of it that separates us along with society and environment and all of that. Um, but that is also part of the learning lessons that we have and um, how we can get back to that place of love and compassion and joy for each other and for life. So you wrote the book, Embracing Life from Death, a caregiver's journey through glioblastoma, grief and healing. So talk to me about the main intention of writing your book. So this book literally 
when my husband passed, I was so angry with what I had gone through. I actually suffered from post-traumatic stress syndrome from everything that had happened with his illness. I, I wanted to warn. It was almost like I couldn't help myself. The It was word vomit. I literally couldn't get the words out fast enough of this experience that I had with Western medicine and the the whole experience of, of being with watching someone you dearly love go through a terminal illness and die. I had never been around death. And all of the things that happened to me were, it was like I was blindsided every time I turned around with not only with the illness itself, but the doctors, the grief process, the funeral process, the, the grief, how much the grief hit me after he passed away. All of that was just so life changing. And so it was just the hardest thing I'd ever gone through. And I, I, I wanted to, to give like a heads up to these people out there dealing with this illness, this stage four brain cancer that previously, you know, there was only like 22,000 cases in the world a year and it's increased dramatically. I don't ever, there's been so many people in the news, like the, uh, the, the president, the candidate that was running uh I can't remember his name now, but um, who just passed away from it. But he was a senator. Um, there, There's just been so many people that have had this illness and there's just no cure. There's no, there's nothing being done about it. There's nothing. Uh, there's no, there's no handbook for when you get it. And I've had so many people reach out to me, thanking me for this, my story and t- and them telling me, I don't have anybody to talk to. Can I talk to you? I nobody understands this. This is this book you wrote is a gift from God. I mean, I that that alone was thank thanks to me for for you know I I cried every day that I wrote those words. Every time that I was writing those words, I was bawling my head off because it was so painful to search my memory and revisit the things that I'd gone through. But the fact that it's even helped one person, it's made it all worth it. So that was the premise of writing that book. I almost couldn't help myself. It was (laughs) You wrote itself, right? (laughs) It just right yeah, it just came out of me because I wanted to help other people with what had happened because there was just no knowledge about it. And when I was dealing with it, I had nowhere to go to really get answers from anything because the doctors don't tell you anything. And um, I, you know, I tried to save him through holistic care, through regular Western medicine to uh, obscure things like oxygen therapy, just all of these different things I was trying to save his life. And it was just those are the things that I wanted to tell other people you know, what worked, what didn't work. But ultimately you have to, I think the biggest message was I regretted putting him through the Western medicine process because they openly tell you he's going to die or she's going to die. And we're just stalling. We're just giving, buying you some time. Mm. But the treatment was so 
so hard on everyone that his quality of life was gone the minute he started it. Mm. He would, you know, so I wanted people to have that choice. Yeah. Okay. If you want to fight, fight, but if you don't, then take the next month and live life to the fullest Mm. because either way (laughs) you don't have much of a chance. So that was the, that was the ultimate message through the illness portion of the Mm. book. Um, that I wanted people to understand what they were getting into when the doctors push you into all of these different types of things, Mm -hmm. what you were really buying into and what, and what was it that, and ask themselves, what is it that life really means? What do I really want before I go Mm -hmm. and and treasure the moments and the, the, the seconds that you have left with, as much of a sound mind and body that you can, you know, before it's gone. And really that's what we should all be doing every day, every moment of Mm -hmm. all of our lives, whether we're sick or not is to treasure the moment that we're in and to live life to the fullest because Mm -hmm. something like this can happen to anyone at any age. So have you heard about any case of glioblastoma where people have survived? They have gone through the conventional treatment and have survived. Yes. So in the book, I reference a gentleman who did survive it. He was the uh, in a family of biologists and his background was science and basically chemistry. And when he was uh, diagnosed with it, he went through systematically and found all of the methods that like clinical trials that had been done to help work, you know, to try to help cure this disease. And he created essentially a cocktail of drugs based on all of those types of, of clinical trials of the things that showed promise, but didn't show profit. So things that were holistic, like melatonin and uh, different types of, of natural supplements combined with maybe some other types of drugs actually cured him and or put him into a state of remission. And this is this is what's so so frustrating about the whole thing. You know, when when AIDS became huge in our country and it was all over the world and people were dying everywhere. Um, there was a gentleman that also did this similar thing and he uh, marched on, he, he found a cocktail to help keep him alive, but he was going to Mexico and, and this is, and this is what the other guy did with the glioblastoma. He had to go to outside of the country to find the things that he needed because the doctors wouldn't give them to him. So anyway, he, he found this cocktail and, and then people marched on Washington to let them have this treatment. To, to get rid of their, to, to stop their HIV uh, or AIDS. And so eventually the, the pressure was given in. And now there are cocktails of type of medication that keep you alive if you are diagnosed with, with HIV. And because glioblastoma brain cancer is, there isn't, it's not, it's still a fairly rare terminal illness. They don't have that kind of backing. So this gentleman, he has dedicated his life to uh, sharing what he did, and he updates his information annually. And there's a site that I reference um, in the book that you can go to. And he actually contacted me personally when I was desperately trying to find answers to what he did. But 
my problem was, was I could not get the things that he got to and and then experiment with this drug cocktail with my husband. And so it was there and there are other people that have managed to to stay alive. There was one other gentleman that I knew that was uh, I met through in braincancer.org that was actually diagnosed with this illness in his early 30s. And he went through a radical clinical trial that literally poured chemo into his brain, directly into his brain. And he's still alive. He's not fully, his brain function was compromised somewhat, but he is able to function and live like a, you know, normal person. So there are, there isn't 100% no hope, but there has to be circumstances regarding it. For instance, both of those gentlemen were able to have the tumors resected from their brains to and then and then go to these drastic measures to stay alive. My husband, his tumor was dead center of his brain. It was already six centimeters large there and there was nothing they could do. When you have that, there's there's no hope. You know, you can't if you can't take the existing tumor out um, and start from, a, you know, then there's nothing you can do. And gliomas are known for they're very, very aggressive. They grow extremely fast and they spread these little tiny microscopic cells all over the area that they are growing. And that's why they're so hard to get rid of, because if they can resect the tumor from your brain, they can't see the microscopic cells that are still there. And then those just start growing because it just is such an aggressive cancer. So my message is, is do your research, figure out what your life, what your life means to you, and then make the decisions on how to move forward with an illness such as, you know, glioblastoma. Thank you so much again, Anitra. Wow, that's so much information about it that I have now. I didn't read. For the podcast, I usually focus on uh, spirituality and those methods, spiritual methods of healing. But that makes so much sense, everything you say. So there is hope, but it's um, uh, in the case of those with um, larger size. And if the tumor cannot be removed, then there is no hope. Right. And doing chemotherapy and all that, going through the conventional medicine treatments will not help. It's quite the opposite, no, they right? Will, yeah. They, yeah. I mean, it'll either kill you faster yeah. or it will stall. It will stall it, but it will not cure you. So you're going through a lot of pain oh, for yeah. buying buying a few months of life. That's basically, it's a trade-off. Talk to me for a moment about your art, how you came to become an artist. And also, how did you know, what was that moment when you knew you were a medium or you had the gift of mediumship? Well, so mediumship is what healed me the quickest, the fastest. It's It's been the most impactful on my journey. And I, right after my husband passed, I, I of course started seeing the signs and it started developing this knowing. I just knew that it was him. I knew that he was trying to communicate. Uh, and then when my daughter passed, it increased and I, I continued to have this uh, clair sentience that was growing and growing. And 
during this time, I started having uh, visions uh, in my, you know, not in my sleep, in a waking state, but when I was in a calm state. And I would have these visions that were so crystal clear. It was like I was watching HGTV and I would see I would see people. I would see places. I would see um, people not even from this world. And so I sought out help with that because um, I didn't know what was happening to me. And um, so I uh, started uh, mentoring with a a local uh, medium that was near me. And she started giving me uh, lessons on, on, on things on what on practicing and letting what my abilities were grow. And as that happened, the visions increased. And when I did the first reading that I had, um, I was able to see the person that I was bringing forth. I could visualize what he looked like, uh, what he was wearing. Um, and I, my, the visual side of my ability was growing faster than some of the other uh, clairs that we go through. But so when she asked me, she said, you know, if you can see him, since you're an artist, see if you can draw, draw him. So I did, I drew a, a sketch or a picture of this gentleman. And then when we compared, I'd never seen him. I, he, it was her grandfather. She sent me a, a picture of him and it was very, very similar. So when I do a reading on someone, I usually describe what they look like first because that's what comes to me in my what you call your third eye or uh, a vision in, in your in your head. I guess you could talk to people who don't understand what all of the spiritual terminology is, but I'm able to see the spirits um, clearly and look know what they look like or how they want me to perceive them. And I, you know, one of the things that I was doing before I got to this medium point or stage of my life was I was, uh, be, I self-taught myself to be an artist. It was a, it was a form of healing for me to create this art, these portraits, these drawings of people and people have always fascinated me anyway. So um, I focused on, on expressions and, you know, I poured out my grief through my art. And so when the mediumship showed up in me, I was able to take those visions and then translate it into a portrait of some sort. So that was something that someone told me, uh, another medium, that my path was to become a spiritual artist. And that is where I kind of ended up. And so I am doing that type of work along with the mediumship to help other people uh, heal their grief with their loved ones, because nothing is more comforting than getting a message from the person that you love from the other side. It's, there's just no words for how much that heals your soul. There's something you said that caught my attention. You said, all our lessons are to expand our ability to love unconditionally. We are all one on this earth. We are connected through love and energy. That really resonated true. And you also offer in your book a free guide. It's a printable one-page PDF with 10 things every caregiver 
of glioblastoma needs to know. So that when you have a link, it's embracing life through death.blogspot.com. So I'll have that link on your podcast profile too. So my final question to you is, what are three things about life you wish everyone to experience before they lose the body? First of all, uh, number one is love, unconditional love. That is the ultimate thing for me. Number two would be the gift of helping other people, the emotion that that evokes and the, the, the sense of accomplishment, that there's meaning to life um, in helping other, other people. Yeah. Um, and I, I would have to say the third is just enjoy all of the mm-hmm. physical things with the five senses that we are given by God, uh, the taste and the mm-hmm. sound and the music and, mm-hmm. yeah. and all of those different things that we get to, we are privileged to experience in this physical body because we don't, I don't believe that we get all of those when we cross over. Mm, So it is a gift to be alive in this physical body. There is a reason why we do this. And some of these things we cannot experience when we're not in this form. So it's not the same as what I I understand. So just enjoy the smell of the air, the, you know, your lover's perfume, your the taste of chocolate, you know, things like I that. I love chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Yes, me too. Every day I eat chocolate. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Um, yeah, just, just the, everything that you can experience as in a physical body. Those would be the three things that I would, I would say. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much again, Anita, for your wisdom, your presence. It's a very light, how can I explain your presence? It's wise, it's open, it's healing. That's what it is. I mean, we are using words, um, but it can be felt. It's really, really beautiful. Thank you for being you. Thank you. (laughs) And my last question before we say goodbye is, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Uh, so my website is anitrasimmonsartist.com. And if you go to that website, you will find um, uh, information about uh, grief, uh, all the resources that I found, the books that we've talked about. Yeah. Uh, you can go to my art. You can go to my books. Uh, you can go to, I even have uh, meditational type music on there. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I have a little shop connected through Etsy. So all of that uh, and a blog. So all of that is at anitrasimmonsartist.com. Wonderful. I'll have that link on your podcast profile too. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Yes, thank you so much. Have a have a great day. You too, Anitra. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Anitra Marie Simmons and her work, please visit anitrasimmonsartist.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.